Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob of Rob Observations. These are my Rob Observations on comic books and pop culture and movies and all the ways that they have worked to shape the culture that we currently reside in. Even this 2020, you know, dumpster fire pandemic culture that we've all um, existed through. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy talking to you guys, sharing with you guys, and appreciate how much you are all willing to hang out with me and listen to me uh, wax nostalgic over the history of comics. But man, every time I do one of these and I think, well, you know, maybe maybe sharing those stories weren't necessary, I am reminded, as, as I will be, as I'll show you today, there are things that are being lost to history, lost to the sands of time. Thank God, I saved so much of what um, the magazines, the articles, the newspapers, stuff that the links aren't there anymore. You can't click and chase this stuff. It's not um, uh, readily available, but it is part of history. I have read of, I've lived long enough now to see how people say that winners write, you know, the stories, the, to the victor go the spoils. And uh, sometimes you do wonder if, if, uh, over the course of time, certain people are, are responsible for, uh, you know, um, um, making sure that certain stories go in a certain way. And I'm just talking about comics. I'm just talking about this industry that I'm in. And I've experienced it. I have had uh, experiences with the press. I've had mass market press over the last 30 years, given how popular our image comics got. Different um, dealings that I had, certainly of the most recently, is any and all things uh, concerning Deadpool and X Force, and so so it's all it's it's been a uh, relationship I've had for many years. But in this instance, especially what we're going to talk about today, and I'll just tell you right now, we are going to be discussing the death of Superman and all of the roads that led to that decision. Because as you're going to discover today, the death of Superman was prompted by a a huge event. So one huge event being the death of this great American icon was caused by another event that we're going to discuss that's harder to find now but i was able to get the hard evidence the facts the printed um the printed material and 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 i'll share that with you today because it's it's a great it's a great story this is how 1992 wraps up we we started with the image revolution we launched our image books in spring and again this takes us along the timeline and how things changed and how image changed everything drastically. Uh, maybe the biggest changes were in this 12-month span. It's, it's, it, it really uh, continues to be my favorite period in comics because of the giant jolt in the surge. But if you were to be asked by someone whether Image Comics was the number two company at any point in time, so that Marvel was number one, but there was a period that Image jumped DC Comics, would you be able to answer that with great authority. I'm going to help you today uh, with that answer and with those facts and everything that led up to that and what occurred after in all of the roads that led to the death of Superman. And before I get into anything, let me tell you something. Death, death of Superman is a huge success. It's ridiculously well executed as well. It, it's no fluke. It was really um, DC. You know, they can, they don't even need to, Tell them to hold their heads high. They, they executed this thing. They, they, they had a plan. They pulled it off. 
and it, it, it was the most I'd ever been in the Superman line of books uh, in, in, in my entire life when they did this and set off this chain reaction post Death of Superman. But again, it was Death of Superman was brought on by a big bucket, ice cold water splashed in their face called Image Comics. So, uh, you know, one thing about comic books, and, and I'm just going to insert this before I take off on this, 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 this tear that we're going to go through today. Comic books are, I think if you've listened to this, you know it's my passion. And what I mean by my passion is they're very much in my life every day. I have, I can't think of a, a day that's gone by in my lifetime where I haven't flipped through comic books, trade paperbacks, hardcovers. I mean, by the time I'm coming to you today, I've already been through uh, dozens of different comics, stuff that I will grab out of my collection in my storage unit in my garage stuff that i pull off my spinner rack here in my office stuff that has um uh piled up of recent purchases that i haven't so much as as glanced through um stuff i want to revisit uh stuff i i need to study especially like i I, if i'm going to come and do this podcast i better get some facts and figures and make sure i can substantiate what i'm going to share with you today comics is an interesting um passion uh, because of of how ridiculously lonely it is. I think I am more impressed by all the people who uh, produce comic books, chiefly the artists. I don't mean to diminish the writers. The great writers in comics of my lifetime would be Jim Shooter, uh, best, best Avengers that has ever been written. Uh, it, when Jim Shooter wrote the Avengers, it was the best comic, even better, than X-Men, which Claremont's X-Men I would put as like the number two uh, favorite uh, that I read and, and, and over longevity, he, he gets it over Shooter. Shooter's Avengers were that rich and deep and resonant and conflicted and action-packed and the consequences, so great. But Jim Shooter, Chris Claremont, Claremont's X-Men run is one for the ages. It's legendary. Uh, I love David Michelini. I loved his Avengers. I loved his Iron Man. It's great stuff. Frank Miller, you know, maybe uh, uh, as an isolated writer, maybe, maybe tops easily as a writer artist, my favorite of all time. Uh, you know, Alan Moore, brilliant. And then in this in this era that we're in now, the Robert Kirkmans, the Mark Millers, uh, those guys, I stand at attention whenever a project there's dropped. They they think like artists. They they are not just uh, they they are carefully crafting the vision. And I've seen enough with both Mark and Robert Kirkman, how carefully they craft with each of the artists that they work with. So they're these, um, these, these, you know, very compelling writer talents, but comic books are about pictures and I am all about the pictures and the drawing of the pictures is done in isolation. I've been on film sets, you know, I've been, I've hung out with the crews, uh, you know, and seen the camaraderie between everybody that comes together to make a television show or between, a. uh, 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 that comes together to to make a movie, and and the camera guy, the sound guy, the sound mixer, the the the, the script editor, you know, the producers, the execs, the lighting, the makeup. These are wonderful people. They all work together for one purpose: the actors, the talent, the director, um, the the, the cinematographer. Right? I, it, it's it's fun being on a set. I mean, there's a time to do the work. Everything goes silent. The camera rolls. The performances come through. But then there's so much more in between time where the camaraderie is built in the tent, in the editing bay, uh, you know, uh, in the makeup trailer. It's fun. A comic book, 
a comic book, the likes that me and my peer, me and my peers uh, produced, they're done in isolation. I've had studios before. I, I, I shared a studio with Jim Valentino. We'd yuck it up until, unfortunately, we had to break and go draw for three and a half hours straight before maybe taking a 20-minute yuck it up break and then going back to drawing in isolation for three and a half hours on our separate ends of the studio with earbuds or, you know, whichever manner of isolation that we could uh, subscribe to that would keep our music and, and whatever we're listening to to ourselves so that we could focus just on that page and fill it from top left down to bottom right. And it is a lonely business. And I have made thousands of these lonely pages and drawing comics uh, really does need to be a passion. If you're doing it for money, there's way better things to do for money. There's way more stuff that you could do for money. And, and, and I've seen really talented artists enter the comic book field and exit summarily because they could do better for themselves, working less hours, caring less about what the public sees about their work because the public is never going to see the storyboards that they create for the video game or the TV show unless there's some sort of production book put forth. Then maybe some of that will be seen. But for the most part, most of it will not be seen on any level whatsoever. It, it'll just be a uh, It'll be obscured. And and I'm telling you right now that doing comics is isolating. It's extremely uh, a lonely business. So when I see the works of all the greats that have come before me, um, I, I am so fascinated by the, uh, by the amount of time and work and effort that these people put forth in their isolation. Because, again, I look at the choices they made. You know, how they t twisted this figure, how they chose that panel, this rendering technique. Because, again, most of this stuff is between you and your paper and your ink quill or your brush or your pencil. Nowadays, I know it's a lot iPad and, and it's, uh, it's, it's stuff that's constructed in, in the digital space. Still, maybe less lonely, but still somewhat lonely. You know, um, some of those Cintiqs are large. You can't always uh, ha haul them in front of the television. I work on a lap board. I have worked on a lap board for my entire career. I have a small board that I rest on my lap, whether I am sitting on the floor in a beanbag on a couch, up against a bed, uh, you know, on a small leather chair. I, I don't work at a desk as often. I, I mean, literally, in the course of my career, the lap board is where 90% of my work is done. I enjoy when I get to sit down at a broad desk and draw, but I love the mobility of moving around being in different rooms, that's how I've kept my sanity. But so if you wonder why I am uh, doing this podcast, which again, this podcast was born out of almost therapy in a year of a pandemic, in, in, a, in a desire to share kind of my passion and my love for comics and realize that people don't know so much of what has gone before. And, and when I look back at the death of Superman in November 1992, I mean, we are talking, what, I mean, are, are we at almost at, at 29 years i mean that's a long time my kid is 20 he's not 29 so you know nine years before 10 years before i conceive of my oldest son superman died so so this is a long time ago if, if you're just a casual listener now for you long-term guys you know that the death of superman was enormous and it's funny as i again prepared and went back and looked through my catalogs and the fan magazines at the time that were um, 
Johnny on the Spot, whether it's the Comic Book Buyer's Guide, which was the weekly newspaper that covered comics, or the Wizard Magazine, which uh, the early wizards are refreshing. They weren't corrupted by their own voices yet. They were working hard to report the news to you and do it in the most colorful and fun fashion. Is it fun? Was definitely going on early on in Wizard. They were out to prove something. And they again, they were reporting the news, not trying to make the news, which is when they got drunk on themselves. And that's, you know, a couple of years to come, but we're not there yet. But at this time, whether it's Comic Book Buyer's Guide, Cinescape, uh, 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 I'm sorry, um, Comic Scene, Wizard Magazine, uh, you know, these are the magazines... That uh, Amazing Heroes, Comics, Interview, Comics, Journal. There was a lot. There was a lot of these. And thank, thankfully, I, I, I uh, saved so many of them so I could refer to them for something like today. But when we get back to 1992, Image happened. Image was uh, was an event. We uh, So many of you guys have... I, I guess I haven't covered... It's been covered on some of the shows. Robert Kirkman did an excellent, highly recommended hour on the uh, Birth of Image Comics a couple years ago on his AMC show. I'm sure that it's available all over different platforms. Uh, every episode is is fantastic. They, they did such a great job producing it. The Stan Lee and Jack Kirby episode is phenomenal. The Milestone episode is great. The Image Comics episode is just amazing. They, they did a great job. It, it really covers so much. But when we announced Image Comics, when it was... Finally, time to inform the world that we were going to do this. Uh, so, so many of you have said, well, but what about when you guys went to Marvel? Okay, we were it in New York City for the X-Men Summit. Mark Silvestri, Wills Portacio, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee. Strike that. Wills was not there. Just Jim, Mark, and myself. Todd flew to meet us there. There was a Sotheby's auction that was happening early that week. My art and Jim's art were both being put up for auction in the Sotheby's auction. They were in the catalog. They were going up. Ultimately, the same buyer bought both. 50000 for X-Men number one, 50000 for X-Force number one. It was really fun to observe and be a part of that. But while we are at this summit, Todd flies in to meet with us. And the, the most important thing is Todd and uh, Mark have a long, hours-long discussion that happens uh, off to the uh, side of this restaurant bar where Mark finally con con you know confirms that he will be a part of Image Comics. And, and so that, that was a much needed, uh, that, that was a very much needed uh, 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 dis discussion and face-to-face -face that needed to happen. Jim and I were there to kind of just listen and we weren't really sold on what was going on. I think I mentioned this meeting, this X-Men summit with Peter David and Scott Lobdell and the other guys who's they're, they, they were trying to find their voices, being being bigger voices than they were before. Um, Jim and I had kind of navigated the X office for the last couple of years. But all of us together were going to now make a statement. And it ended up being myself and Jim and Todd that decided to go and meet with Terry uh, Stewart, who was the president of Marvel Comics at the time, and uh, president and publisher, and Tom DeFalco, who was the editor-in-chief, was also there after hours. We go, basically, after hours, it's, it's, it's you know, midwinter, and, and it's dark. It's probably 6.30, 7 o'clock. New York City is dark. 
uh, that the offices are dark, and we make our way down a very faintly pa uh, lit path of the Marvel offices, and we go to Terry's uh, office, where really just his a couple lamps on his desk are lighting the room. Todd's wife is with us. Wanda uh, McFarlane is 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 with us, and uh, Jim and I are there. And, and this is kind of weird. This is something Todd wanted to do. And hats off to Todd. He uh, he felt like this was something to do in an official capacity. And that is when we sat down and we informed them that we were going to be leaving and that um, everything they had heard was true and, and we were joining together to start our own label. And, and it was just kind of like, thanks for um, being great to us, I guess, except Todd brought up his grievance with the watch and, 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 and went into the fact that his dad worked at a factory. And when he was done working at the factory, the last day they gave him a watch and Todd pointed out that uh, with all the sales that Jim and myself and he had achieved, the records that we had broken, that you would think that we would have uh, been awarded some sort of watch. Terry Stewart very capably turned it back and said, you made a lot of money selling those books, and, uh, and, and, and we feel like that, you know, you should be thrilled with the participation that changed your landscape. I mean, obviously, I can, I've told you, I remember getting that million-dollar check. And you, I didn't get get into comics to make a million bucks, but I did, and it was off X Force number one. And so, yeah, I wasn't about the watch thing. I, I, I don't think every people, I don't look for validation, um, in plaques or trophies. Uh, I, I, I never have. Uh, I, I figure I, I'll do my work connecting with the reader, getting the the book into their hands, satisfying them, if if they respond and they had and and taken New Mutants to the top of the charts and taken X-Force to the top of the charts and propelled all these characters. And, and same with Jim and same with Todd. I did. I felt like we kind of had, had proved our point. I felt like we, we, we serviced each other perfectly. Marvel and, and, and the, the, what would be the, the image boys did, did well by each other. And it was time to part ways. And it was simple and there was no animosity. But Todd threw the thing about the watch in. Terry was very, very, oh, I would say overly defensive. Terry Stewart, overly defensive. Uh, being informed that his top three selling guys are leaving and uh, and then quickly pivoted uh, to offer us what if we gave you the epic line of comics. For those of you who, who don't know, in early 19, like, it, 1979, 1980, they launched Epic Comics Illustrated, which, it, which was a uh, magazine that then turned into their creator-owned line of comics, which is how Jim Starlin was able to take Dreadstar uh, from... Epic to later other companies, uh, you know, I think I think Kamiko, uh, First Comics, whoever J Jim has has D Dynamic Forces has even been somebody who he's partnered with. Dreadstar is his, and it started at Epic, and there was a couple other minor su success stories out of the Epic line, E P I C, Epic line of comics, um, but it wasn't uh, it, the label itself was not an exciting label, and no one had done anything with it in years. So trying to get us to revive it, and then we just were like, but you'd be still setting the rules, and we're we then we're not independent. If we're if we're still running our label through Marvel, then we are in essence controlled by Marvel and subject to their whims, and who knows what they would throw at us at any given time, saying, well, we've you know changed course on this. And so right there in that room, by the way, while this is happening, uh, literally, um. Tom DeFalco stumbles in through the door. It was like he was pressed up. I love Tom. He's a great guy. I understand why he did this. 
He was, I think he's like, oh, the three, my, my three big guys are in there with Terry Stewart. What's going on? He didn't want to be shut out. The door was slightly ajar. I think he was pressed up trying to hear it. We were talking quietly. This wasn't ranting or loud. Again, it was a very dark room, very dimly lit, just really specifically a lamp or a, 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 and another accompanying light that were coming from Terry's big desk and the three of us on the couch and then Wanda on a, on a side chair, uh, you know, be, uh, facing him. Okay. So we were all doing our kind of expressing ourselves. I really didn't have to say anything to say. I figured like I've done my part that they, they've read about my, my, my book coming out and, but Todd wanted this formality. I respect him. Uh, what that, you know, got us was this kind of empty offer to do Epic. We summarily on the spot said, no, 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 that's not for us. That Epic wouldn't. And, and so Terry basically was like, so there's nothing I can do. And it was like, no, there's nothing you can do. We're, we're gone. We're leaving. We're, we're making image. And, and obviously Todd had really, uh, closed the deal with Mark. I, I think Mark and Jim were very competitive. Jim took over X-Men from him and there was some soreness there. And Mark had no respect for me, uh, because uh, on the, on the comic book scene, especially in Southern California, we had done some signings together and, 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 uh, it, it, it did not go well. There was one time there was a giant line. I sat down. And then there was a smaller line, and it was for Mark, and the big line was for me, and it created a scene. Mark complained. Um, it, it, it's it sucked. I didn't plan on that working out, but that those ill feelings when you are embarrassed, it, it's hard to come back from. And even though the embarrassment isn't something that you created for that other person, the embarrassing situation. There's um, Mark was a top guy. Mark was the guy we were all gunning for. Mark was the guy Todd would reference about royalties, royalties, royalties. And uh, so when we started ascending, I think it disrupted Mark. He wasn't terribly trustworthy of us. And I think he probably did take stock. And if they're leaving, I can fill that niche maybe. Well, Todd and he had their quiet, very intense exchange. I kept glancing over and it seemed to be very intense. But at the end, Mark was coming on board. It's awesome. Mark's coming on board. Uh, you know, when when uh, we announced, as I've referenced in other podcast something that really needs to be like refocused is we cost marvel money when that announcement then went forth following this meeting with terry stewart where we formally basically gave notice even though we weren't under contract we were freelancers and we were now informing him you know i wouldn't have done it but todd formally wanted to it's classy no, no doubt about it we're gone i'm not sure if there was i i i went along with it um because I was there. Why not? Why not go and observe and have this story to tell you years later? It's very dull other than Tom DeFalco kind of stumbling into the room and, oh, I, uh, oh so sorry, well, what's going on here? And then, of course, he pulled up a chair and listened to us and he didn't have anything to say. Because again, guys, I think we were all looking at it from, what do you, what do you do? What does, what does Todd do after he's done Spider-Man? I mean, does he go back and do the Hulk? No. He looks for new, new opportunities and he had explored the sports cards and, and that hadn't gone, uh, the way he wanted. So now he's back looking, what am I going to do in comics? The Batman stuff, the DC Detour uh, episode, I covered a couple back where we didn't end up ultimately going with DC because they weren't going to make kind of these uh, these deals for us uh, that, that, that turned out to be, again, 10% of what we would do on our own image uh, on their top, what would have been their top selling DC books, Batman and the Titans. They had basically decided to not pull the trigger. So we then were free to completely 100% pursue image with the vigor and the passion that it deserved we have informed marvel of this and 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 we made a a press release 
of it. And the financial papers got a hold of it and Marvel's stock dropped. So as I said in that, uh, in that episode from, from the Barron's financial paper and the Wall Street Journal, both reporting that Marvel was losing its top artists. That's how it was framed. We didn't release it as that. We just announced the formation of our own, of, of our own company. And it said we were, you know, top artists at Marvel. Well, the press geared it to make it a negative on Marvel. It cost them 11 bucks a share that day. The percentage dropped. Uh, I, 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 it, it was high. We, the, the stock dropped significantly. And, uh, the reason I'm telling you this is, so we have launched Image Comics. Everyone's given notice. Youngblood's come out. April came and went. Youngblood sold a million copies. Uh, we moved on. Okay. We moved on and, and we were now in the thick of things. And, uh, so, so when you, put stuff, and we've covered this before, in the catalog. It's three months ahead of when that thing is going to come out, okay? So so uh, if, if, if the, the numbers for, April, for for Youngblood that was released in April, we had those in February of 1992. So it is in June of 1992 that the orders for what was then eight comics for Image uh, came through. The orders, because now Youngblood is is smoking hot, and and you know don't take my word for it. Here um is from Young from Wizard fifteen, from Wizard number fifteen. So early in Images um uh uh publishing, and it's got a beautiful Wills Portacio Wetworks cover. It talks about uh it talk it says since its inception, Image has been the biggest news in the comics world, fans and critics alike. Knew the image books would sell, but none knew just how well the sales of Youngblood, Spawn, and Wildcats have broken all sorts of sales records. It has now pushed the company into the number two spot among the largest comic book publishers. You guys, I mean, it says taking a backseat to Marvel and pushing DC Comics from its precarious perch. Okay, so it says here, um, Youngblood has really caught a strong streak of fan support. It is the first Image Comics and uh, enjoys some strong secondary market rides right now as fans are gobble up, gobbling up the book, okay? So Youngblood had kind of been the, 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 the match that lit the fire and got everything, just ignited everything. And and uh, and so so when the books, so, so, so the August numbers that we get in June are reflecting uh, the the... Um, the rankings, the, the books that, that are coming out in August. So we have these, we have an advance, um, you know, we, we have advance notice of these. And so that's the month that Wildcats um, comes out. And it's the month, uh, mo most importantly, it is the month that the Image Zero uh, uh, marketing uh, marketing effort is put forth. What is image zero? Image zero is, uh, we had decided to offer a, an image zero comic that would have stories by all of us. And in that comic, uh, you know, every comic in August, every image comics had a, uh, proof of purchase, just like when I bought Boba Fett. And when I bought Boba Fett or when I mailed away for Boba Fett, when I was a kid, I had to, uh, send in three proof of purchases from any random Star Wars figures that I might have bought. Two Stormtroopers and a Luke, 
one Jawa, one Luke, one C-3PO, whatever. I mailed those into Kenner, and Kenner would then send me a Boba Fett. So if I spent, let's say, 10 bucks on three action figures, I'm, I sent that in, and they mailed me Boba Fett. So obviously, you can only imagine, it probably spurned, I know it did, I bought extra Stormtroopers that I may not have already needed, because I already had all the Star Wars figures I wanted at the time, but I wanted that Boba Fett. I wanted who, who this mysterious new bounty hunter was. Well, Image Comics, our initiative was that each book had a uh, had an had a had a uh, uh, a certificate that you had to mail in in order to receive your Image Comic Zero with a McFarlane story, Lightfoot story, Lee story, Valentino story, Larson story, Sylvester story, Protasio story. Okay, the Image uh, the Image Zero initiative is what we talked about. Talk um, well, is that's how we refer to it. And that maybe, obviously, gave our books. We'll never know if it, if it was the reason or if it wasn't. Because, again, Wizard's telling you how hot the books are and how much they're heating up. And no one knew how great they were going to sell. Well, June, in June, we are given the numbers for August. And, and with eight comic books, we became the number two comic book company in the world. Number two. Um, Marvel Comics was 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 pushing, you know, 50, 60 comics. DC Comics was pushing 40, 50, somewhere in that range. Okay, um, that's what they were doing. And and Image Comics, this upstart that everyone thought was going to fall flat on their faces. We are showing up to the dance. We are showing up to the dance with eight comics that just so happened to create enough sales surge to rock to 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 put us past the company that does Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and the Justice League okay um th this is a big deal this is a big freaking deal my phone rang it was Jim Lee he couldn't believe it or can you believe this oh my gosh we are the number two publisher with eight comics Nobody saw this coming, least of all us. We didn't go, oh, we're going to do this initiative and this is going to show, okay? No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. What did that image initiative do for us? In the top 10 for August 1992 was Wildcats, number two, Youngblood, number zero, Youngblood, four, Youngblood, three, Brigade, two, okay? Um, Savage Dragon, three. You guys, we clogged... Oh, I forgot Cyberforce and Spawn. Wildcats, Youngblood. Wildcats is the number two book. Cable, number one. Hello, Rob Liefeld. Love those royalties. Uh, actually, uh, as an aside, and I can't not do this. This is so exciting. I actually, with Cable and Youngblood Zero and Youngblood Four and Three and Brigade and then X-Force, I had six books in the top ten. E either I created them or I drew them. But, but I'm telling you, I participated in all of them. So that was very exciting. But Image Comics, Wildcats... Number two was number two. Youngblood Zero was number three. Cyberforce number one was number five. Spawn four was number six. Youngblood three was number seven. Youngblood four was number eight. Shadowhawk number one was number nine. Brigade was 11. Check that out. Check that out. We, those, oh, Savage Dragon, number 19. Okay, Savage Dragon number three, number 19. So with our books, we, uh, I mean, we, we put everything in the top 20, most of it in the top 10. And that was enough to give us, and you will see these pie charts on my dedicated site where I put the pictures on the Rob Liefeld um, 
RobLifeOfCreations.com podcast menu. Go there to see some of this stuff. We had, now we, we were listed as Malibu because Malibu was distributing us. But Malibu went, uh, like literally it had like 5% the month before to 17.8 in units. 17.8%. DC 17.3. Okay, Marvel 38.7. That's in units, okay? In, in dollar share, the amount of money that was generated for uh, the, the industry. Marvel was 45. Malibu, and it says in here, includes image on the pie chart, had 19.2%, and DC Comics had 18.9%. Okay, guys, like, like we are, we are a, a full percentage above DC Comics with their 40 comics, and on the unit share, we are like half a percentage point. We ousted them on both charts, and it says here, you know, uh, again, um, um, I mean, back here in this, in this, uh, in this write-up, it says, it says, uh, you know, that the new company has been powered into the number two spot among the largest comic book publishers, taking a back seat to Mighty Marvel and ousting DC Comics from their precarious perch. You guys, trust me, that's a big deal. You wake up tomorrow with your buddies, no matter how well you're selling your comics, and you decide to do these books. Now, now part of it is because Youngblood 3 and 4 were late and had to be resolicited. So I'm I'm super duper helping this out. But Youngblood Zero, uh all the books had 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 the I think Youngblood Zero was the only of the Youngbloods that had the certificate. Um but Cyberforce had it, Wildcats had it, Shadowhawk had it. And if you tore those certificates out, you had to collect them all and mail them in. We gave you a free comic that was never for sale. And and most of those stories have never been reprinted. And if they were reprinted, it took a decade. It was exclusive to Image Zero. So that was our initiative. And again, in the, in the world of gimmicks and in the world of initiatives, you know, which started with our cardstock Tales of the Dark Knight covers that went down through polybags. I mean, we figured this was a fun initiative. This was to give the Image fans something to collect, chase, and then we wanted to give you this special book that was only available through the mail. And you guys, uh, those of you who were around at the time, you know the frenzy that this created. And uh, so so we, with this initiative and with these books, power to the number two spot in the industry. Guys, that was a giant, giant, giant uh, uh, flare that was sent up, okay? It was a giant emergency flare to the other companies. It was their WTF moment. It was, holy shit. How is this happening? Um, how is it that these morons have now, uh, you know, exceeded DC Comics? Here on the Wikipedia page for Malibu Comics, if you go down to the Bravura imprint, this is so weird, but if you go down to like, like their achievements, it talks about Bravura, which was an imprint they put together after Image Comics. But it says the company were always were also publishers of record for the first year of Image Comics in 1992, giving the upstart creator-run publisher access to the Malibu distribution channels. This move led Malibu to obtaining a percentage of the American market share that temporarily moved them ahead of industry giant DC Comics. However, by the beginning of 1993, Image's financial situation was secure enough that they took over complete distribution from Malibu and became independent. 
So August 1992, the shot heard around the world. Uh, what does one young blood? Uh, no, what is three young bloods, one spawn, one spider cyber force, one brigade, one shadowhawk, and one savage dragon gets you it gets you the number two comic book company in America. You're like, Rob, you're too excited about this. Actually, I'm not. I was more excited back then when Jim Lee called me and we're like, dude, 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 like, what's up? We're number two. We felt the tension, the rumbling, the shaking. Trust me, Malibu called. They were, oh my gosh, this is great. I had a number of DC uh, friends and they called me that day. Oh my gosh, did you see what you guys did? How is that even possible? I mean, we published Batman and Superman and multiple Batmans and multiple Wonder Womans and Superman and Justice League and Lobo and, and Green Lantern and Flash and Justice Society and the Teen Titans and the Legion of Superheroes and Jonah Hex and you, you name it, they were publishing it and we outgunned them. This is the historical, like the evidence of, of the image revolution, how it suddenly shifted. What if we never had banded together, you guys? And that powered us. I, I talked to Todd. I talked to Eric. People were like, whoa, whoa. It was not in the cards for us. We did not believe when we left that this was something that was available to us. Now, let me ask you something. How many comics would it have taken for us to double that market share? Uh, maybe a little more so and take on Marvel. I mean, that's eight comics. What if we had done 16? You know, I mean, it's, it's a really, you guys heard, uh, uh, we did a round table one episode back with Jimmy J talking about the nineties. And Jimmy just said, I'm reading all this stuff that you guys did. And I just can't believe you weren't more aggressive. You launched Youngblood with one cover, Wildcats with one cover, Spawn with one cover. While you guys came from a system of Marvel doing three to four to five covers to six covers with X-Men number one that, that they all connect. And then the one that, that collects them all and makes them a one standalone wraparound, uh, like almost a poster within the cover. Um, DC Comics, the four, you know, construction paper, different colors on Legends of the Dark Knight. So, well, since DC started this, you better damn well believe they're going to finish this because, uh, you guys, DC Comics was was not a happy place during that time. And my uh, insiders, who I have kept very close to me my entire uh, career, and I won't yet give them out, but they said that there was a, a session the next morning in emergency planning of we're being embarrassed. These guys, we can't have another situation like this. And you know what? No one was dismissive. Suddenly we had everyone's notice. What if? They do 10, 11, 12, 20 titles. I mean, easily with eight comics with just a, a certificate initiative. Um, you know, uh, we got eight, 19.2% of the market of the dollars available to Marvel's 45. DC was 18%. You guys, what if we did 12, 15? And trust me, we, 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 we were kind of talking about it, but we weren't crazy serious about it. It wasn't something we planned. We did it for creators freedom and to get our creations and our ideas out there and to be our own bosses. Number one, period. This was uh, a shot heard around the world, but it was only once we didn't repeat this. And, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, DC acted very quickly to make certain that this was not going to happen. Now, the, the, the October solicitations were going out when these numbers came in. And suddenly, November became a, a madhouse as DC assembled 
how they would answer this assault on their market dominance. I mean, again, their precarious perch is how Wizard, which was the top selling of all the magazines. So the mass readership is picking up and going, DC's precarious perch was replaced by Image with eight books. So what do you do when your comic books, and, and I've, I've tried to find something to talk about that happened in the 90s with, with DC, but after Legends of the Dark Knight, things kind of go dull for them. They are just kind of on autopilot, and it reflects the management. Paul Levitz, who I think I've shared before, told me with the biggest shit-inning grin in 1992, Rob, we're the best number two company ever. Number one is too much pressure. Number one, if you hit number one and you're not number one consistently, then the bosses call you up and go, hey, how come we're not number one? Well, number two is the perfect number to be. Nobody gets mad at number two. Everybody feels, oh, we're doing okay. We're trying. We're trying. But when you get number one and you lose it, you have to be answerable. This is 100% Paul Levitz to Rob Liefeld, face-to-face, -face, San Diego Comic-Con, cocktail party, 1992 of the Comic-Con. And I was like, wow, I just like, I've never heard it so bold. This guy loved being number two for all the reasons that he pointed out to me. No pressure. We do great. We make money for the company. We don't have to be called into whoever's writing the checks and say, hey, 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 we sniff some of that top stuff. Now, almost a decade, no, almost 15 years later, the publisher of DC Comics, Dan DiDio, decided I will try that. I will try and knock off number one. I'm gunning for number one. Hats off. I think for two months in 2011, the DC 52, with that initiative, they did it. But the world completely refocused, re re reset, and Marvel maintained their dominance. And I'm not sure that they haven't been the number one publisher ever since. Certainly in the last five, six years, Marvel just dominates. They have great people who plan and market and, and their sales staff and their editorial planning. They like being on top. Disney expects for them to be on top and they will do anything and everything to continue to be on top. They are ruthlessly competitive. And I say that with kind of like, it turns me on because it does. It's fun. It's fun. When you push each other, fun stuff happens. We push DC. August 1992 embarrassed them. How did these upstarts who just literally, by the time this comes in, I think Spawn number one is about to go to press. Youngblood 2. We are a company of three comics max that have been published. But the momentum behind us is has put us at the number two. Put us at number two. 19% to their 18%. And uh, must have been a tough nut to swallow again. Because you're, you're talking, you know, multiple Superman titles, multiple Batman titles. Just 40 plus books plus trades. You know, what, they, what they're putting out too is their trade collections. And their specialty stuff. We just had comics. All we had was these comics. Okay? And, uh... And so, so they huddle and, and, and they know that they have to do something severe. And I'm going to tell you something. I've said it before. Dan Jurgens on Superman exceeded every expectation. And I enjoyed his Superman run from beginning to end more than anything from John Byrne, who I was completely queued up to love. And I did. I enjoyed John Byrne stuff. I have nothing but love for that stuff. No side eyes, no side comments. John Byrne Superman was great. Dan Jurgens just got the character a little better. He he had great finishers uh, with Art Tabar and Brett Breeding. And Dan is a great storyteller and a great writer. And right before Image happened, I think there was a, a crossover called Panic in the Sky, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they were trying to cross over Superman, pulling the other 
characters in in the DCU. He had fought Lobo. He had fought a Cable knockoff, some Fantastic Four knockoffs. They were having fun. They were definitely looking at Superman going, but is it fun? But now, fun had to be thrown out the door. You got to do something serious. Something that would, that would give DC uh, bragging rights, momentum back, and, and reposition them. Because you got Valiant Comics, which I haven't mentioned yet, and I probably won't mention a whole lot because I didn't do a whole lot with them. I'll definitely walk through Deathmate, our image crossover that was bonkers crazy, and the behind the scenes is definitely worth telling, and we'll get there. But to get the Superman, they had to look and go, what these image guys did was scary, and it knocked us down, and, 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 and it made it a three-company race. And, and let me tell you something, it's been a three-company race ever since. I, Image Comics is the very best at being number three. I think it's been the number three company forever. And it doesn't try real hard. It just has contributions by really creative people who want to put up their best efforts. And 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 the, comp, the company always puts together a great uh, line of hits of a wide variety, especially since Robert Kirkman landed. And, and Walking Dead happened, and then Saga followed, and you get horror, and you get sci-fi, and you get drama and romance now. It, Image does all of it. It is no longer the superhero-launched comic company that it was when we got together and did this. But uh, So Mike Carlin, who I had had a terrible relationship on Hawk and Dev, I did get a kick. If, if, we, if we can just pause a minute. Yes, it was very satisfactory, satisfying to me. Uh, someone who had demeaned me as greatly as he had in my career and uh, and insulted me and and uh, it, it's good because he drove me. If you don't think that drives me, thanks, Mike. I, I know you know you drove drove me, so it's no secret. Um, but it was it was fun being able to go. Hey, man, we're, we're sitting on top of you right now. Youngblood is out selling all your stuff and, and spawning wildcats. Me and my buddies, we put together a hell of a run. Well, they planned this giant event that they uh, they can say uh, they have told me. No, Rob, that's not how it's. I had guys on the inside. It is how it happened. It is how it came together. Suddenly, there was a plan. Let's kill Superman. It'll go national attention. It'll it'll be a drastic, drastic move because nobody knew how long they'd kill Superman. They they really did do a great job of keeping Superman dead for a year. As post death of Superman, the book took off. I, I've told you, Reign of Superman, and all these different Superman, um, uh, uh, you know, funeral for a friend, requiem for a friend, whatever it was where everybody mourned Superman and then, then different Superman, Cyborg, Superman, Steel, all the different, you know, Superboy, everyone took their mantle trying to replace a world without a Superman. And, uh, and, and then all along, Superman is, is coming, he's coming back. And it's exciting, except it was nowhere near as successful or exciting. The Return of Superman was a thud, but we're not going to go there. Um, it was a book that you couldn't give away, but Death of Superman was the exact opposite. Death of Superman flew off shelves i remember drawing in my studio i was drawing youngblood pages that day november it's dark at five o'clock there's a comic book store just down the road guys from the studio come back and said oh my gosh there's there's people out the door businessmen guys in suits and briefcases grabbing superman it was all over the news superman was dead they had a polybag special edition cover they had multiple editions much like the todd mcfarland there's some in a bag there's some with a different logo there's some with art on it. They did enough different editions. And as a matter of fact, in a, in, in one of these um, Wizards, and I, I was flipping through and it's like, wow, look at this. Okay, so so Wizard 16. This is the September issue. So the, the cat's out of the bag that Superman's dying. They're soliciting it. Full page ad. This is one of several in this magazine. This is by Supercard. 
in Bethel Road, Bethel Road, Warren, New Jersey. Supercard. Superman is Dead, Supercard Comics Incorporated and National Comic Services Limited are proud to announce the exclusive availability of 7,500, yes, 7,500 signed and numbered pairs of Superman issue 75. This once-in-a-lifetime offer includes both the newsstand and collector's editions of the soon-to-be-immortalized Death of Superman comic book number 75, signed and numbered by artist Dan Jurgens. This is like an infomercial. I am literally, and literally, this is when comics started getting sold on CBC. I mean, uh, C, whatever that is called. The, 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 the shopping network. Uh, the, the, literally, this is what's... It didn't start with Image, because Image was known to comic book fans, but Superman was known to Mom and to Grandma and to Aunt, Aunt Jenny, everybody sitting on the couch who were watching the, 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 the shopping network. Uh, home Shopping Network, HSN, whatever it was. Listen to this, you know? I mean, uh, uh, the collector's edition will be packaged by DC Comics in a black factory-sealed plastic memorial bag containing Superman 75 with special cover artwork different than that of the newsstand issue. The artist will autograph the outside of this special packaging instead of the comic book itself to protect the integrity and collectability of this factory-sealed comic. The newsstand version of Superman 75 will be signed and numbered by both artists on the front cover itself. This signed and numbered pair of comics will make for a great addition to anyone's collection. And for the avid collector, the first 300 signed and numbered pairs of Superman 75 will be offered as a part of a complete Death of Superman collection featuring six other DC comics in the Death of Superman storyline, including Man of Steel 18, Justice League 69, Superman 74, Adventures of Superman 497, Action Comics 685, and Man of Steel 19. And then it tells you who's going to sign all these, and it ends to, due to the amount of time needed by the artist to autograph these items, delivery will take six to ten weeks. This is a huge deal. To order this Superman 75 newsstand collector's edition is 30 bucks. $29.99 plus shipping. This is a full-page ad in the Wizard Magazine, taken out by Supercar in Warren, New Jersey. The Death of Superman collection is $125 in 1992. $125. Send our orders and checks payable to Supercard. So there's another couple of these ads throughout this book. People were jumping on this, man. You need your specially signed Superman comic. You know, this deal only. Act now. It's all through this magazine. DC did it, man. They picked the pony. We um Doomsday is coming. DC full full pledge ad. The death of Superman. I mean, this is a big deal. There were big ad buys. They they use their giant um uh publicity arm with with the media and and I remember that morning waking up Good Morning America it's Superman is dead Superman's dying today at your local comic book retailer I mean again like the guys said it was so funny when they said Rob there were guys in business suits and briefcases again the guys who were telling me this are all in their twenties uh, I am twenty three time so I'm also a 20 something but maybe maybe a 19 or 20 year old but get the superman was fantastic the comic book was spectacular Dan Jurgens uh on the main story did a great job he deserved it um he had been keeping the superman fun and interesting and afloat and, and relevant for years he deserved this kind of thing uh what really impressed me afterwards was the storyline all those books that I read out off to you adventures of superman man of steel action comics you know, Superman, they all interwove, they were all part of a, 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 basically a weekly story because they shipped one a week every month after the death of Superman. So you were getting a 22 page part of a giant serial every week. And I cannot even begin to tell you how much I respect and, and admired those stories. They were great. 
I, I, I would, they were, they would be the first comics I read. I was completely sold. Hats off to you guys. You responded. We pushed you. Image Comics made that happen. This also is the opening of this ridiculous age that DC would then be like, it was like they were bloodlusts. It was, it's like they, they, they were like, oh man, killing, killing people, sold millions. Now, I, I, I looked at the different, um, projections. They said it sold 2.5 million. I am thrilled that it did not outsell Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, My X-Force, or Jim's X-Men. But still, it, it, it was a big deal. It is the number one comic book of 1992, Superman, Death of Superman, November 1992, charts as the number one best-selling comic book of 1992. And, uh, that is John Jackson Miller and his absolutely amazing, uh, uh, comic cron. You've heard me mention it. He is our, uh, you know, our Nate Silver of comics. He gives us all the numbers that we need to, 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 to let us know what's going down. Um, he reports, uh, his, 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 his report on, on 1992 as he wraps it up on his Comic Cron 1992. He says, the comic market continued to expand at a record clip in 1992. A major new publisher launched in Image Comics, created by several of Marvel's star artists leaving en masse. Early issues of Image Comics were published through Malibu. Uh, Rob Liefeld Jungbud, Todd McFarlane Spawn were the highest profile launches. Spawn 8 was written by Alan Moore and achieved enormous sales. The following issue by Neil Gaiman would be the focus of a multi-year lawsuit through uh, between the creators. Didn't see that sentence coming. Sorry. Did not mean to digress. November 1992 saw the single biggest sales day in the history of comic books. DC's Death of Superman, Superman Volume 2, Number 75, helped comic stores bring in $30 million in a single day. The collector's version of the issue was shipped in a black poly bag. They're leaving out that that black poly bag had a Superman logo that was like melting in blood. It was, it was great. It was, it was very effective. Um, it says, uh, you know, Diamond Comics did not release aggregate market shares for that entire year. They'll begin doing so in 1993. Capital City, there were two distributors back then. We live in a one distributor world we have for you know, most of the last, uh, 30 some years. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but the, 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 at this time, Diamond and Capital both split the market. They, they, they both had, you know, different clientels and some of them used both, uh, in, in case of emergency, use both distributors. Um, Capital City Distribution did release shares, uh, and they appear at the com column in the left, which I am not, I don't have on this page. But, uh, like I said, uh, Image Comics, Helped expand. I told you originally we were the pimple, the bubble. You know, maybe the smelly fart that the comics industry needed to wake itself up. I'm good with all of them. Pimple, bubble, fart. Um, it created this new sense of we can't get comfortable. We don't know what these crazy image guys are doing. We don't know what these hyperactive 20-somethings. Uh, I make a big deal about the fact that I'm, you know, 23 when image launches. Todd is 29. He is not yet 30. That means Jim is probably 27. Uh, Eric Larson is is probably 29. Obviously, Mark is in his 30s. Jim Valentino, I think, is right around 40. We were young. We were our, our aggregate, since since that's the number of the, of that's the word of the day, the aggregate, uh, that, that we were young. We were young. We were excited and we were capable. And with eight comics, we became the number two comic company in August of 1992. And it shocked everybody awake. It gave DC uh, the, the jumper cables to their tender nipples. 
and surged electricity, um, you know, uh, through, through their body to the point where we got to take this seriously. And that bloodlust, that melty, bloody Superman logo uh, would transform very quickly into 1993's breaking of Batman's back. Oh no, they broke his back. Would it be as big? No, but it did better. Um, this this new kind of carnage that DC like found itself in the middle of was fun. Uh, I did make mention of Return of Superman. DC did what sales people do. The DC sales manager said one year later, in the summer of 1993, like uh, or, or early fall. So so it was like you know November became summer, and then it was all the next year, and then the next summer we're bringing Superman back. It was about a year and a half. We're bringing Superman back. The return of Superman. Those salespeople told all the stores, this is going to do better. This is going to do just as good, if not better than death. We're going to, we're going to promote the crap out of it. This is when we as an industry found out that um, nothing beats killing somebody. Everybody wants to watch the death of. They want to watch Superman beat to a pulp by a bloody alien monster called Doomsday. Okay? Only to learn later that he has two different hearts because he's from Krypton. Great to us, honestly. Love the death of Superman. Love the reign of Superman. I'm a huge fan. I can get in a room with DC Nerdbox right now, and I can connect with them over Reign of Superman, Death of Superman, great stuff. Dan Jurgens is my jam. Also, Jerry Ordway, John Bogdanov, Marvel Wolf, and whoever else jammed on that stuff, okay? Great stuff. Uh, but, but the return of was ordered huge by retailers, and nobody came. Nobody showed up. It wasn't anywhere near. Nobody showed up for the return. It wiped stores out. What Paul, um, what's his name, Bob Wayne would then go on a mission. Uh, it was like political, pointing out, well, Image Comics books are late all the time. They're late all the time. That's what's hurting the industry. No, what's hurting the industry is that you told them that the return of Superman would sell as good as the death of Superman, and it didn't even do half that much. And I do remember going to the store, uh, stores that, 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 uh, week. I had a chain called Comics Unlimited. They had a Fullerton branch and a Brea branch. We still had Comics Mania in Fullerton. There was Comic Castle. There's all, we, Orange County was bustling with comic stores at this time. Uh, that businessman with a briefcase couldn't give two shits or a giggle about your attorney Superman. It didn't matter. Um, they didn't show up. You went in and retailers were visibly nervous. And you guys, it was like four phone books worth of comics stacked on a shelf. Imagine four phone books worth the thickness of four phone books stacked, almost like breaking off the shelf. And then, and then four across. Retailers bought in on Return of Superman and it didn't do anywhere near. But you know what? That is a year ahead. We are here to praise the death of Superman and the smelling salts that we provided them and woke them up. And again, we didn't draw those books. We didn't make those books awesome. They did. But the competition woke them up. Look, competition does great things. It's, it happens in sports. You sign some other guy, we sign some other guy. You know, the Dodgers give Mookie Betts the biggest freaking, you know, contract of all space and time. And Boston looks back and goes, maybe we shouldn't have let him go. It, it's, it's, it happens all the time in sports. It happens all the time in the entertainment industry. Marvel films became the rock that everyone broke them against. It's my favorite line from Legends of the Fall when they are um, describing Tristan, who, who Brad Pitt's, uh, you know, he's almost like the superhero son. He can hunt. He can kill bears. He can, you know, uh, shoot anything, ride any horse, you know, rustle any, you know, cattle, survive in the cold, um, single-handedly take out a battalion of, of, of enemy soldiers to save his brother. You know, Brad Pitt is the, is the, the Mary Sue 
of of uh, the male Mary Sue of Legend of the Fall, but Tristan, the Indian guy, goes, he was the rock that they would all break themselves against. That that stayed with me. The rock they would break themselves again. Image Comics in 1992 was the rock that the industry broke themselves again. Um, Marvel worked a little harder. DC worked a lot harder. And uh, it, it's fun talking about it. That was an electric time. That's why uh, going forward, Image is great. Image is fun. The opportunities that, that I pursued, which were my priority with Image, were not lost on me. Did I get caught up in the moment? Did I get caught up in some of this craziness? When I mean caught up, did I did I smile ear to ear? Was it discussion you know, at lunch and dinner? Uh, for several days was everybody in the in the joint studios down in La Jolla with Jim and 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 in Washington with Todd and and in and in Garden Grove with Jim Valentino in L.A. with Mark Celestri in San Francisco with Eric Larson. It was it was electric. It was it was we didn't count on making this impact, but it happened. And again, these numbers are here. These pie charts are here. I'll load them. You can see them. It was a fun time. And Death of Superman kicked all sorts of ass. And uh Loved it. Loved that we um, were the smelling the smelling salts that, that kind of woke it all up. But uh, so so that really wraps 1992 because after that, like the year's over. You're not going to outdo Death of Superman. Like I said, it was it was a top selling book. Death of Superman was 1992's top selling book. I think Wildcats number one is is down beneath it. Maybe I I, I don't know how that's possible. I think that's that's. I'll look at the charts again. I, I, you'd figure it would be Spawn. But um, uh, the thing with Spawn is, and it mentions in one of the articles, Todd again had Walmart buying, uh, there was an, a, a, a company called Anco. They also, they also packaged uh, Youngblood in these four-pack bubble packs, the hard plastic shell, and you got them at Walmart. Um, they bought more of Spawn than anything. Todd brought him to the table. He brought uh, Harold. His name was Harold, the chief buyer. To the table and part of the deal was that Harold would buy more spawns than anything. Good deal. Happy to be a part of it. That may be why Spawn sold more but charted less because I'm not sure that those Anco copies were counted. Regardless, what an incredible year 1992 was. What a great way to wrap it. DC rallied. Again, as you can see, it wasn't just one comic. It affected a line. It affected the Justice League, all of the Superman books. Uh, everybody mourned the death of Superman. They, did, they they really worked it out. They huddled together. August 1992 was, whoa! And it got them to sit up and go, we got to do something. We got to matter. We got to be relevant. We got to do something. And that something worked out. It worked out for everybody. And uh, this would not be the first time we would clash with DC. They had their, they had us in their sights. Like I said, zero hour, I was told in my face, zero hour, DC zero hour was created to kill the zero issue phenomenon. I mean, gosh, this this zero, Image Comic Zero had long-standing ramifications. It was a bone of contention. I think August 1992 was a sore spot for DC for years to come, and a reckoning and a uh, a, a, a uh, realization of what, what happens when you take your eyes off the road and you fall asleep at the wheel. I'll tell you, when we get to the Age of, Age of Apocalypse, Scott Liddell himself at the Golden Apple after party. They always have an after party uh, after the San Diego Comic Con. Scott Liddell could not have been more confident. He says, "We got something coming up. It's going to knock you guys on your keister. You'll see. You'll see that something." And he was like, "Oh no, no, you you understand? It, it's going to be this this thing that the X Men books do that, that that shakes up everything, and, and it's going to knock you guys 
It's going to knock you guys out. It was aggressive. It was competitive. It was all that. It's that fire that I was talking about. It's that fire that we all had, that we all, you know, pushed each other with. And, and like I said, Image Comics was the rock that they all broke themselves against to the point that Age of Apocalypse, which is what Scott was referencing, which I can confirm what he was referencing, was their answer to, we're going to, we're going to wipe out these image guys. We're going to lay them out. We took everybody's best blows and we gave as good as we got. What a great time. 1992. So much fun. Death of Superman. Rocked. August 1992. Me and my image brothers. Three young bloods, a spawn, a wildcats, a brigade, a cyber force, a shadow hawk, a savage dragon. It got us number two. It was great. It was sweet. It was beautiful. You guys, thank you for walking through the comic book history books with me and reliving all this stuff. I will post these charts and these figures so you can check them out for yourself. So much fun. Uh, thanks once again for sharing time with me, taking this ride. I love the feedback. Thank you so much for spreading the word, uh, for sharing the love on Rob's Observations. Uh, uh, you know the drill. I am on social media at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, at Rob Liefeld with the blue check mark. That's the real guy at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. Look for me there. Also, the blue check mark verified. Uh, it's really me if you're here and talk to me. I love talking to you guys. I love sharing with you guys. I'm all over Facebook, all other social media platforms. Um, thank you for your support. You guys, uh, 2020, what a crazy year. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And we will talk again real soon. Thank <laughs> you.